Well, I'm going to say good morning to you guys. Good morning. It's good to be here with you. I'm glad to add my welcome to the one I hope you just received. My name is Ben Lose. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm, it's my privilege to bring you God's Word. And we, uh, a couple weeks ago, we began a series in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. So if you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And you can follow along there. We'll be reading in just a second verses 1 through 11. But to introduce uh, this section of Scripture, I want us to think about old movies and musicals that would often start with what they called an overture. And the overture would contain kind of bits of all of the different songs and musical themes that you would hear throughout the rest of the movie. So it would take all of the ideas and musical themes and songs and pull them into one song, the overture. Uh, if you're not familiar with like old movies, if, but if you like musical theater, there's a similar thing that happens in good musicals. There will often be one song that's central to the plot. That if you know that one song, you know the plot of the musical in miniature. It's defying gravity from Wicked. Did anybody go see Wicked? Was just here? Just the Rossins. They were at the lead center by themselves. It's Tomorrow from Annie. It's Seasons of Love from Rent. It's part of that, part of that world from Little Mermaid. Is that is part of your world, part of that world? It's the one where she's, she has all the stuff. Look at this stuff, isn't, isn't it neat? That one. If there was an overture that introduced us to the main themes of 1 Samuel... Or if 1 Samuel were a musical and there was one moment, one song that gave us the plot in miniature, it would be the passage that I'm about to read to you now. It is Hannah's prayer of praise. Some call it Hannah's song. And it sets up the patterns and themes that run through the whole, this whole book and really through the whole Bible. What happens to What Hannah sings about here sets up a pattern and a trajectory for how we're going to see God working throughout the book. It's going to set up a pattern and trajectory for how we should expect God to work in our lives. So let me read to you. I won't sing it. I'll read it. Hannah's prayer. This is the word of the Lord. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock. Like our God, talk no more so very proudly. 
Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to seat them with the princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Hannah's prayer of praise. And would you use it to draw us into your heart and your great purposes. You raise up the lowly. You oppose the proud. Would you oppose the pride in us this morning? And for those of us who are low, would you lift us high to a place of honor? We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. So let's remember a little bit of Hannah's story. You know, when you're going through the Netflix series and at the beginning of it, there's the part you skip that tells you the part you just watched, but you don't need to watch it because you just watched it because you're just binging the whole thing. Well, we're not binging for Samuel, and some of you, we've, we forget it. And so H- Hannah is one of the bright spots of the Old Testament, such a beautiful, faithful woman, but was in a terribly broken situation. She was in a broken culture. She was in a broken marriage with a clueless husband, and she was in a terrible situation in that she couldn't have children in a society, in a culture where that determined so much of someone's value and worth in the eyes of others. She had rivals. She went to a church where the pastors were nincompoops. And she prayed. She prayed this beautiful prayer, do you remember? To the Lord. She doesn't become Penina. She doesn't, 
She doesn't get angry. She doesn't take revenge. She prays this ugly prayer to the Lord. And she prays for a child who will not only be a son to her, but a son that God might use to to turn the tides in this this broken city, in the broken nation. And God blesses her prayer. And she has a child. And you remember, she dedicates the child to the Lord. And then she sings this song of praise, the one we just heard. And let's just start by saying, it is an odd song for a new mother to sing. The bows of the warriors will be broken. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. The Lord will give strength to his king. That is not what I usually say to a new mother. That is not usually how we mark the arrival of a child into the world. But we need to remember that Hannah's story is Israel's story in miniature. And it's our story. And she sees in the great reversal that happened to her... A picture of what God wants to do in Israel's life and a picture of what God wants to do in your life and in the life of our world. And so this great prayer breaks down into really three sections and they expand on one another. So first is just verses 1 and 2 where Hannah talks about the great reversal that's happened in her situation. And then in verses 3 to 5, she says, but we shouldn't be surprised that that happened because that's just how God works in history. This is what God does time and time again. He redeems and He turns our world right side up. And then in verses 7 to 10, it expands even further from Hannah's story to what he does in history, to what he will do ultimately for the whole world. So let's look at this. First, it talks about Hannah's own personal experience. Verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. Because I rejoice in your salvation. So the song starts with my. This is her personal story. And we see three my's. My heart, my horn, and my mouth. She is going to tell us about a great redemption that's happened to her. And there was a great redemption. Think about where this story started. She says, my heart exalts. Well, she was the broken-hearted woman. She was the... She was downhearted and discouraged and vexed and in pain. And now she is literally rejoicing. Her heart is exalting. Think about where she was in chapter 1. She says, my horn is exalted. In chapter 1, she was defeated. She was bullied. But now she says, my horn 
is exalted, and the horn is a picture of strength. We find it time and time again in this, the, the Psalms. You can imagine some rad, magnificent elk with its huge horns after some victory raising its head, or like a rhino that you never want to encounter in a dark alley, like that would ever happen. But you wouldn't want to because of its magnificent horn that's there. And she's saying, I am like that. I'm that, I feel that strong and exalted in this moment. Someone so marginalized, feeling so powerful. And then she was made fun of and derided in the earlier chapters. But now she says, my mouth derides my enemies. And literally in the Hebrew it's saying, my mouth is open wide. I am the one laughing. I am the one boasting. My mouth used to be closed in silence and in pain, but now it is open wide in praise and in laughter and song. And so this joyless woman now has joy. This powerless woman has found strength. She was silent and she's found her voice. How did Hannah achieve this reversal? Through seeking revenge? Through taking matters into her own hands? Her strength was not where the world looks for strength and power. Her strength was in the Lord. It's God who takes the center stage of this salvation narrative. Her heart exalts in the Lord. Her horn is exalted in the Lord. She is laughing because of his salvation. It is God-centered, God-focused strength. God-created joy. And then she goes on in verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. She's saying God is one of a kind. This God, he is set apart. He is in a category all his own. When it comes to looking for places of shelter in a life full of storms, there is no shelter like this God. When it comes to looking for a place of safety, when the chaos and the rivers and the waters of life are rising, there is no high place and solid foundation like our God. He is a rock. A rock is sturdy. It doesn't move. It is like the, it's the place you go to get high ground 
in the arid desert environment that these folks would have been used to. It's the place you go when it, the, hot, the sun is so hot and life is so wearying. It's the shelter you find, the shade from the heat. He is our rock. God is that sturdy, rocky, mountain, shelter, salvation place for Hannah. Hannah's joy, strength, and laughter began with what she believed about God. About who she thought God was. And in this book, really on leadership and change, it's just amazing to me that it doesn't begin with a military victory. That the first story out of the shoot isn't David and Goliath. That's on purpose. It doesn't begin with David's story. It begins with Hannah's heart and her song. Her ability to envision a big God. Her ability to press more into God in moments of pain. She believed something about God's character God's heart that kept her life rooted, kept her hope sustained, and it paid off. Listen to her praise. And her whole point in this is that Hannah's God is our God. You see the move she makes in verse 2. At the end of it, she stops talking about my God. And she says, our God. She moves from the particular to the general. And what she's going to say is that the way that God delivered her is characteristic of the way he rules the world. What God has done in Hannah's life this great reversal, this great salvation, it simply reflects the way that God is. What Hannah says here is, I was ready to fall and, and God gave me strength. I was barren and he made me fruitful. I was poor, he made me rich. But that's not surprising. That's just the way God is. What God has done for her, people can expect him to do for them because that's what he is like. Uh, For the humble and for the worn down, that's good news. And for the arrogant and the proud, it is a warning. Verses 3 through 5. She says, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Now listen for the reversals. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full are now in the food lines. They've hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. So here we've moved beyond Hannah's own circumstances. 
And what stands out to us about these verses are these reversals. The mighty warriors who are brought down and the weak who are lifted up. The full who go away hungry and the hungry who are finally satisfied. The fruitful find themselves empty and the barren find fullness. It's a picture of God overturning the corrupt powers of the world. The people who abuse their power and disempower others through systems of oppression. The key to understanding these reversals is really the first part of the stanza. Verse 3, where she says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. And so she's saying, proud and arrogant people, those in power, God knows the motivations of your heart, and he knows how you're using what's been given to you, and he is going to be the one to judge in the end. You see, the problem with these folks is not their power, it's their pride. In other words, the problem is not that someone has a bow, but that they're not using it to defend the weak. They're using it to keep the weak down. The problem is not that there's full people. God loves it when people are full and satisfied. It's when the problem is when they are full, but there's people around them in need, starving hungry. It's not that there's fruitful people. God loves fruitful people. But it's when fruitful people are like Penina. Remember how arrogant and boastful she was against Hannah. It's not these conditions. It's the smugness and self-righteousness and arrogance that often attends them. When one misuses power and privilege and doesn't use it to lift up others. The person should have been using the bow to defend the weak. Should have been using the the food to feed the hungry and share. Should have been using their good fortune as a gift to be stewarded. Rather than as an opportunity for pride. So the warning here is to those in these kinds of positions to watch out. Because God knows. He's a God of knowledge. And he's not going to let that business go on forever. God is in the business of giving grace to the humble and opposing the proud. For the poor, that's good news. Because it means that a reversal could be right around the corner. But the same could be said of the proud. A reversal could be right around the corner. And that's something that we see throughout the book of 1 Samuel. This is really introducing us to the main theme of the book. God gives grace to the humble and he opposes the proud. It's a pattern we're going to see played out time and time again. It begins with Hannah and Penina. But the son that that Hannah has ultimately replaces Eli... And his arrogant and corrupt sons. Saul, 
Israel's arrogant first king is going to be replaced by who? The lowly shepherd boy, David, that God raises up. And that same lowly shepherd boy is going to bring down a giant who is arrogant and boastful. And that same lowly shepherd king will become arrogant himself. And God will use a prophet to bring him down. Not to replace him, but to humble him. And to remind him where true strength is really at. This is just the way God works. Throughout the book of 1 Samuel and throughout human history, And so the poem continues to expand our horizons. And we move from Hannah's situation to these historical circumstances and finally to eternal matters. Verses 6 through 8. Or let's just do verse 6. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol And he raises up. It's a striking statement. Especially in a culture that wants to hide from death. Or to take matters of life and death into its own hands. In so many ways we practice divinity. And through health and wellness practices, me too. We try to put on immortality. And pretend away the reality of both our finitude and our dependence. We live as if this life is all that there is. But death is coming to us all. And for some of us, that will be an opportunity for vindication and renewal. A time when all of the broken and sorrowful things that have not been healed to finally be touched by the healing love and power of God. People say in the Old Testament, you didn't have an early belief in the resurrection. Hannah did. Hannah was a good theologian. Hannah believed in the resurrection, and that's what she's saying here. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, to death, And he raises up. You're saying, goodness gracious, he raised me up. And one day he will raise me up fully and finally. There's the old hymn. That when I face the final day, he will not leave me in the grave, but I will rise. The Lord is my salvation. She would have gotten The humble have a sense of hope. And the proud have a humbling sense of reality. Because money and power and privilege, it's all temporary. Verse 7. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. She's saying that Poverty and popularity and obscurity and fame 
It's all in his hands. He will ultimately determine who is seen as rich and who is poor. There will be a final day, in other words, in which our perspectives will change. There's people who look pretty shabby now. But in the light of the coming kingdom, they will look regal, beautiful. And there are people who look pretty regal and important now. But there is a coming day, and in the light of a coming kingdom, they may look shabby. And we are, have, we are to have the eyes to see what is true in the light of that kingdom now. Verse 8. Beautiful verse. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and to inherit a seat of honor. Dust and ashes... I was just thinking about ash heaps. Ashes and dust remind us of death and grief. I just think about all the dust and ashes in our world. You think about the pictures from Mariupol, the the port city in Ukraine, and how it's been decimated. Our lives can feel like that. Our marriages can feel like that, like ash heaps. You see the ugliness of public discourse in our society. The rage that we see in the human heart. In the midst of it, so much sadness and pain. You go through the headlines and you you think about the culture, no matter where you stand on a political spectrum, and you think this is going to the ash heap. You see the destruction and the chaos, and you've heard politicians your whole life say, if we do this, or fix that, or change this, or change that, we're going to deal with it. And it's just that nobody believes that anymore. What do you do with the ash heaps? Well, it's good news that God is going to do something with the with the ash heap places of our life and our world. It was hard for me to to think about this passage and not go back and read Isaiah 61. I commend it to you for your afternoon devotional. God is talking about a time when he will pour out his spirit in Isaiah 61. And he will bring good news to the poor. He will bind up the brokenhearted. He says he'll set the captive free. He says someone will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and will comfort those who mourn. And then it says he will give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. A garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Isn't that what's happened to Hannah? And that's what's going to happen to us. We have a God who loves to exchange beauty for ashes. And it says we can count on it. The last verse there. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on, him he, on them he has set the world. I don't even know what that means. 
but I think it's beautiful. <laughs> and I think it's saying that as, as sure as the world is created and founded on a firm foundation, so are God's purposes in redemption. They are as sure as the world's foundations. How is he going to do this? Through his king. Let's close it out, verses 9 through 10. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And then it says this. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The king? Where did that come from? Israel doesn't have a king. We're waiting for a king. Hannah's hoping for a king. She concludes her song by saying that God is going to continue this pattern when he raises up an anointed one. And the word anointed there is the word Mashiach, where we get Messiah and a, and a Messiahed one. Hannah is, is the first one in Israel's history to anticipate a future king and to call that king God's anointed. And Samuel is going to play a role as a kingmaker. First, Saul, that doesn't work out. But then, David. And, and God does turn things around in, Israel, in, in David's reign, but only partially. It is like Hannah's redemption, like a little micro-salvation. And we're left at the end of 1 Samuel waiting for the ultimate king who will usher in this ultimate redemption. And then you fast forward 11, 1,200 years later to a young Jewish girl who's met an angel and going to have a baby. And she sings a song in Luke chapter 2, a song that sounds a heck of a lot like Hannah's song. So much of it is drawn from Hannah's in imagery of turning the world upside down. And the parallels there, they're on purpose. Mary is saying that the anointed king that Hannah was praying for so long ago, who is going to reverse the world and turn it right side up, that's my baby. That's going to be Jesus. And we see it played out in Jesus' life. As he comes declaring an upside-down kingdom where the mourning ones are the ones who will be comforted and the poor are the ones who will be blessed and the, the hungry for righteousness will be filled. As he confronts the corrupt religious and political leaders of the day, as he spends time at tables with the outcasts and the hurting, as he uses his power and privilege to lift up others... As he suffers 
under the corrupt powers and authorities of the world, but never loses his character, never loses his way, but who always trusted God to elevate him, even out of death. And he was crucified on the outside of the city, in the dump ash heap place, with all the criminals identifying with them, being raised up finally. And saying, I'm ascending on high to heaven to gather all the poor souls to myself until the day when I come again to turn the whole world right side up. <clears throat> That's the story. What do you do with it? Well, it's made me think about how if you are in a person of privilege or power in any way, how are you using that? I have status in this culture. Anyone who can get food and not think about where it came from has status and power in our world. We have upwardly achieved a level of freedom. We are successful in the eyes of many in the world. And I think the question that this text poses us is, has it made you proud? Has it made you smug? Self-righteous? How are we using our power and privilege? Do we think about those who made the food that we eat and the wages that they make? and the conditions they work in. The calling of our heart is something deeper than just to live for ourselves. We have been given the position and the power we have to bless, encourage, lift up others. My story is that I am a Caucasian, educated man with a master's degree, a voice, a pulpit, and money. What am I going to do with it? What is your story? Youth kids who I played ultimate frisbee with yesterday. And by the way, the adults won. <laughs> and the victory was very sweet. My mouth derided my enemies, and I stood in victory in the end zone. I was just, but I was thinking about middle schoolers and high schoolers in the power that you all have to say who's cool and who's not, who's in and who's out. How are you going to use that? If God has given you power, how are you going to use your power to elevate others this week? And for those of us who feel powerless, doesn't Hannah's story encourage you? Those of us who have no powers, or are on the, the margins of things, who don't look successful in the eyes of the world, or we don't have what the world says you need to have power, Hannah says, take heart. If you have faith in this God, our God, 
you have treasures and power and honor and dignity that you don't even know the bottom of it. You have faith and you have hope and you have Christ. And you are his and he is yours and you can expect him to act in your life. And when it's all and said and done, what you have materially in this life won't matter. Where you ended up in the whole job thing doesn't matter. You could be in the ash heap and he will lift you up and seat you with the princes and the priests and the queens and the kings in the new heavens. If you were not rich, if the culture just took pot shots at you all the time and hurt you and walked all over you, when it's all said and done, all you will need is Jesus. And he will exalt you. He will put joy in your heart. He will give you new strength. And he will put a song in your mouth. Hannah's song. It is hers and it is ours. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Hannah's song. I'm sorry to leave the Hannah stories. She's so awesome. And her prayers and her faith, her faithfulness to you has enlivened my heart. We look to this song, Lord, this song of praise. And for those of us who are in places of power, it encourages us to use that so it looks more like Jesus. To become humble and kind and loving and full of the fruit of the Spirit. And for those of us who are weak, marginalized, in pain, wearied by a hard and harsh world, you promise to lift us up. My guess is that we are all both in both places in one way or another. We both need these words. Thank you so much for Jesus who lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve to die so we can have this kind of hope. We give you praise and thanks. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, we end our time together in fellowship with Christ, with Christ welcoming us to his table and saying, friends, I love you. I care for you. Have a seat. Sit down with me. Renew your relationship with me. I am the anointed king who loves you. It was a gift that he gave to his disciples the night he was betrayed, when after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so if you love Jesus, if you are a Christian, maybe you're visiting this morning, maybe it's your first time here, but know that this isn't the table of our church or our denomination. If you belong to Jesus, you belong here. 
And if you're here and you, you have questions about Christianity, you're not a follower of Christ, you're either exploring or you've just made other choices, you know, um, if you have questions about Christ or Christianity, know that there's people here who would love to walk with you. And if you just need people to love on you, man, this is a place where you can belong before you believe. And so we invite you to, to, to mix it up with us. If there's one thing we would ask you not to partake of, it's the meal. Because to come to the table is to say, I dine with Jesus. I'm, I'm at the table with Christ. And we want that to be true of what's going on in your heart. Let me pray for us now. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, would you bless every one of us here, no matter where, we, where we're coming from or what our situation is, would you meet us by your Spirit? And for those who come to the table, would there be a very special way in which we're reminded of your fellowship with us, your presence with us, your kindness to us, your grace to us. So thank you, Lord. Make this time a time of blessing and encouragement for all. Praying this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so if you're in the two center rows of pews there, what we do is we exit towards the, the center aisle and we come to the table and you can take a piece of bre- uh, pre-cut b- bread and you can dip it either in the juice or in the wine. There's also pre, um, there's these little cuppies and they have elements in them too. And there's even gluten-free ones if those would be helpful to you. If you're in the outside sense of pews, you exit towards the outside and you can come to these stations. And uh, dear ones of the balcony, know that Jesus loves you very, very much. He cares for you and he's with you. And you got Victor up there too, and he'll tell you that as well. Um, but let's come with expectation in our hearts. The Lord means to meet us here by his spirit. Let's keep the feast. Praise God from whom all bless.
and then sing together. this church i wonder if jesus in the fullness of his humanity while he was like preaching the sermon on the mount or something if he had a runny nose if there would have been someone in the the crowd to bring him a kleenex because i have those people and they are lovely to me Uh, as you leave this place greet one another with the peace and grace that's yours in christ jesus i'm going to invite members of the prayer team to come forward these are men and women who stand up here week in and week out Uh, symbolic of our care for one another. There are people gifted in prayer. They want to to help you bear the burdens that you have in your life and to pray for you. So please come up and receive prayer. And of course, go into the world as lights of Christ in a dark world and go with his blessing upon you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his mercy and his peace now and forever. Amen. Amen.